Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. I'm here with two of my favorite people on planet Earth to talk about women's cycling. Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. Good to be here. Lauren Rowney. Good morning, everyone. That was a lovely introduction, Abby. Yeah. Just makes me feel good every time. Yeah. (laughs) Abby Mickey's my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Like, best friends. We should have bracelets. I'll send you guys bracelets. I've been making, like, hundreds, not hundreds, but the goal is to have a good amount of friendship bracelets for when I eventually go see the Arrows tour next year in Dublin. Because, you know, you go to a Taylor Swift concert and you exchange bracelets with everybody, friendship bracelets, because Taylor Swift wrote a song, one song with one line, exchange the friendship bracelets or trade the friendship bracelets or something, just the one line. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, we're going to make hundreds and hundreds of friendship bracelets and completely renew the bead industry. Yeah, wow. That's cute. That's a good little thing to be able to do. Yeah, and I've made Lila like a stack of friendship bracelets and she takes them to daycare and then I'll go pick her up from daycare and they'll be like the other kids at daycare will be wearing the bracelets. That's adorable. There's one little boy in her daycare that when I pick her up, he runs to the gate and like holds on to the gate and just cries. (laughs) It's very cute. I suspect he belongs to a cyclist because his name on the plaque is Nil (laughs) and that's not really a... Catalan name but I am too embarrassed to ask whose child is this (laughs) that's a Scandinavian name no or Neil actually could be German yeah possibly but there's a bunch of cyclists who have their kids in the daycare where Lila goes so I'm like I feel like this is a cyclist sometimes I sit there and I look at the locker names and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) like today I dropped her off this is totally off topic today I dropped her off and she was waddling down like well, I was walking her to the door and she had on unicorn, purple unicorn pants and a rainbow puffy because style. And she was holding her favorite bunny that's got flowers all over it. And she's like walking to the daycare and this woman is walking towards us. And I was like, oh, lo siento, like getting out of the way. And she goes, too cute in Australian, <laughs> like a heavy Australian accent. <laughs> and I was like, who are you? Can we be friends? <laughs> Australian. I feel like you would know who the person is, but then there are so Sometimes, many new yeah, people up I, there, I guess. Yeah. It's got to be easy, easy to narrow down right now because most of them are in Australia. Although I feel a, a lot don't go back now. Yeah, a lot don't. I mean, once you have a family in Europe as well, I think um, to make that trip every year, they just don't do it harder. as often. Yeah. Mm. Particularly if you have a foreign partner, because uh, quite a few of the guys now have um, Catalan wives or partners. Jack Haig hasn't been back since like 2015 or something crazy. Mm. He's yeah. just like straight Catalan now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always went back for my family. That was a big thing. And also, I liked the Aussie summer. But actually, I suffered more and more as the years went on because I don't know why. I just did not like the Queensland weather anymore. <laughs> I couldn't deal with the 4.30 wake up and the humidity that comes with being there in December, January. It's awful. <laughs> well, get ready for it because we're going to go visit Gracie someday. Yeah, please. Hey, my plan is this time next year, I'm in Australia if, if all goes to plan for Christmas. so Love it. Yeah, then definitely. We all need to convene at some point. Like, we need to make it happen. It has to happen. 100%. If we're still making this podcast in, like, two years, we can <laughs> all go so. to TDU. <laughs> yeah, Tom's yeah. to, you know, it's a post-Olympic year. Go to TDU, take the family. Exactly. It aligns with your work. Perfect. Be awesome. Can we? Can we all go to New Zealand, though? Maybe we all, like go somewhere else and we all go to New Zealand because I just really want to go to Hobbiton. Yeah, New Zealand's pretty rad. I love it there. I would I would easily be talked into going there. Any I would easily live there, I think. Yeah, me too. It's mm-hmm. so nice. Any Kiwis listening, good good on you. <laughs> You've made it great. <laughs> like, no, we don't want you. We want to keep it like it is. Yeah, no, wait, there's already too many Aussies here. We definitely don't want any Canadians or Americans. No. <laughs> shut the borders (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay 
Well, now that we've gotten the pleasantries out of the way, we've actually got a good amount of news that I wasn't expecting. We're going to get to a a couple of the really good listener questions that we got that I asked everyone on the Discord for. Massive thank you to everyone on the Discord for sending in questions. We absolutely love getting everyone involved. So um, we'll do, I think, more questions next year. Like I I liked when I was trying to incorporate one into each episode. And maybe we'll try to do that again because it's just awesome when we can get you guys involved in the podcast that are listening. Um, but first, this it's wild that we're talking about this in December, but the Jiro route was announced. <laughs> yep. Completely insane. Like, yeah, it gives me a little bit of hope that RCS taking over the Jiro for the first time ever maybe is a good thing for women's cycling. I mean, they, they've been pretty clear in the media that they want to do the race justice. They want to build it up to be a women's grand tour. Their first year with it, they already chopped one day off. So it's only eight stages. It's the, the shortest it's been since I think 2013 maybe, but heck we'll see if they, if the live coverage is good, that's like, that's what we need is just the live coverage. We're not going to know about that for many months, but it's crazy that we have the route because usually it's like June we're like, well, we better get the route soon because the race is in two weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember writing the preview this year. Like, I don't know anything about this race. Do you think the teams, like, get some leaked information beforehand? Because, you know, it, it's still a big race regardless of the disorganization. And when you're showing up to such a tour that, you know, you have ambitions of, say, winning it or performing, often you want to do your homework beforehand. So I think that's, um, I mean, this is a very good sign. It's positive. It's December. You know, in terms of planning for 2024, it's so important for riders to, I mean, they already know what their schedule is for next year, particularly with the Olympics and World Championships and the Tour de France all coming within a few months of each other. Um, You know, for the riders, it's, it's a big deal. And I think we're going to see a pretty stacked field, I would say, at the Giro. I don't know what your opinions are of it, but generally speaking, leading up to um, the Olympics, uh, the Giro, or I think the one year, Gracie, you did Turrigan um, yeah. as as a good lead-up race. And then it was, you know, a good showing as well as who's coming into really good form mm. for the Olympics. Um, and I mean, we'll go into the, the stage by stage a little bit, I guess, but the, the time trial is in fact a time trial, not a prologue. So I think for any time trialers to, to have one final crack, even though it's only 14 kilometers, it's still good preparation, um, before the, the games. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point, Lauren. Like the, the time trial, you don't get that many opportunities to time trial in the season, especially until that point in the season, because it's all been pretty much classics and a few smaller tours. So I think that's going to be, it's going to be a different Giro to what we've seen in the last few years. Obviously the Giro used to be the prestige tour of the year until the Tour de France Farm came along. Um, I, I did plenty of, um, Giro recon. So, I, I'm not sure if they did any recon the last year or two because of the info, the lack of information, but I'm sure that there'll be a bit more recon done now that there's info, but also how, you know, that that slightly more importance on this tour going into the Olympics. So, And I'd say um, in the past, choosing between Turrigan and the Giro was a better choice. I'm not sure if that's the same now because uh, Turingen still hasn't been promoted to world tour, but it was safer and, and sometimes kind of better conditioning, I guess, for big races that were coming in the future. So I'm sure some people will still opt for Turingen, but I'm not sure where that even lies in the calendar for next year. Uh, should probably look that up, <laughs> but it might not even um, work anyway. But I, you know, I, I preferred Turingen because, like I said, it was safer and you don't really want to be having a big crash before the games or whatever's coming up that you've got your heart set on um, the Giro, even if it's going to be run better, quote, unquote, in the future. 
um, it's still Italian roads, you know, like the roads don't really change. The The route planning will get a bit different and a bit better, but like overall racing in Italy is inherently just a little bit dangerous, similar to racing in Belgium, but just in a different way. Yeah. Uh, so I, there's, there is the risk there and there's some riders that know they'll be going to the Olympics and they'll still opt not to go to the Giro and just go to altitude instead. For example, Kashini Udoma has said that she's not planning to go to the Olympics because it's a course that doesn't really suit her. I wonder if she'll change her mind given that I think it's coming out now that people are going and pre-riding the course, that it's a lot more challenging than, than people thought. Um, chatting with a couple of the riders who have, who have seen it, they've said that, okay, actually this is not a sprinter's race. This is a selective course, kind of like worlds this year. The Mm -hmm. final circuits are really challenging. Um, but I, yeah, I wonder if there will be riders that hit the Giro tour and don't go to the Olympics, obviously with a 90 rider start list and only four riders per nation as the maximum. There's many, many riders that will, that are better suited to the Giro and the tour that will not go to the Olympics. So that I think will, I think we're going to be looking at the most competitive Giro that we've seen in years, like even pre 2020, even pre Vanderbregen retiring and it becoming the Anamique show, it was always the two of them. It was down to the two of them. And it's been the two of them that have won the last eight out of 10 editions, I believe. Like just complete Dutch and American dominance for the last 10 years. And um, I think that we're looking at a race that is going to be a lot more targeted by riders for example like Elise Longa Borghini is probably looking at this course feeling pretty good about her chances at an Italian taking the race whether it be her or Gaia but it's not as insane when it comes to climbing as Giro's past like similar a little bit to last year where or this year I guess 2023 what month is it I don't even know um that it wasn't a really really climby course Anamique was just doing Anamique things so I, I'm curious how that's going to play into the race, but I do think it's a lot more open. Like without Anamique, it's a lot more open. And I would be shocked if Demi goes to the Giro, I think, because I think mm. that Demi is going to be looking at that Olympics. Like I only get a certain number of chances at this and she can go solo. If she has a strong team, if the Dutch actually rally behind her, like if she actually has a team that is going to support her, Versus Tokyo, where it was just complete, like the four team of four was divided into three teams of two and one, <laughs> two and one and one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I have high hopes for the Giro next year, which I think I've said many, many times in the past and always been let down. But it's it's a good sign that we have the course. And, and like Lauren said, the first stage is an actual time trial. It's 14.6 kilometers, I believe. So it's actually it's not a weird length that's like 0.2 longer than a actual prologue. So you can't call it a prologue, but it's basically a prologue. And then there's a couple, it kind of does what the tour did in 2022 where it built on itself. So we've got like a sprint stage on stage two, stage three, there's a short climb at the end. Stage four is like two lumps at the end. Stage five is like a little bit lumpier. Stage six is the longest stage of the race and ends on a kicker. And then stage seven has two pretty big climbs, not massive. Stage eight starts climbing from the gun, and then you descend to the finish after like a plateau with some rolling. So it's like a a race that slowly builds on itself, which is great for the jersey changing hands every day. And what what date actually is the Olympics? Because this is running from the 7th to the 14th? July 27th is the Olympic road race. So So actually it's... It's quite perfect if you're looking for a really hard lead-up race beforehand. And, I mean, the beauty of, of the Olympics being on the continent is that there's no hectic travel either. So you could go and do a hard race like the Giro and then be able to come down a little bit, recover, and come up again for the race in Paris. So... No, it's really exciting. Like you said, Abby, I guess uh, the the question mark will be what sort of coverage we're going to get next year. 
um, and who's going to have the rights to that and how we're going to watch it now that uh, there's no more GCN. I mean, I'll be fine, I think, in Belgium. We seem to get uh, everything over here, which You've is great. Eurosport. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gracie's the one who's going to be kind of left out to dry, I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty crap. Um, I don't know if I want to buy a whole new subscription with an add-on, <laughs> but it's also my job to be on top of cycling, so mm. maybe I'll just write it off. Yeah. Do you know yet, Gracie, what races you'll be covering uh, in 2024? You can't um, say no, I, I don't know for sure the Euro stuff, but I'll definitely be at Aussie Nationals, TDU and Cadell's. So I get to, you know, see Nationals, which is always a good one, and then the first couple of World Tour races. So um, that'll be cool. And then I'll I'll get to do some of the classics, just not quite sure which ones yet, but hopefully some of my faves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's the, the final Yim Bunningyong, which... Uh be interesting and special actually to be there to be there for the finale yeah you're right actually it's going to be um weird for it to not be there I think it's really good that they're changing but I also just want to say a big thank you to anyone listening from the Ballarat and Bunnyong community because it's like they always put on such a good show cyclists were welcomed um it was while people complained about the course, you know, never changing and it suiting a specific kind of rider, like the actual community part of it was exceptional. So I think that's going to be really tough shoes to fill for the next location. So, mm. yeah, I think it will be cool to be there and say goodbye and relive some good memories and and see someone make some good memories one one more time. So, yeah, it'd be cool. I heard rumors that it might go to Perth next. Yeah, wow. maybe. I think okay. like the there's some places putting their hand up, but it does have to. There's a lot of boxes to check. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm sure that they check a lot of boxes, and anyone that is putting their hand up, you know, <laughs> is already long way ahead because there's a lot of um, clubs and locations that don't want it because it's too hard. Um, I, I'm assuming Cycling Australia or Oz Cycling now, they'll make the call on it and they have to d- take things into consideration such as cost of travel to make it fair for people to be able to afford to be there. So I think that mm. that's a challenge for that part of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perth is quite far away from everything. But they've I'm got a great cycling that- community there, so I think that they would love to have it. Isn't isn't Jai Hindley from there? Yeah. Oh, there's some top talents that lots have of pros are from that side. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, as juniors, actually, the WA team was always one of the strongest mm. um, when when competing. But uh, I guess the East Coast as well. I'm thinking more towards 2032. I'm I'm curious in the years leading up to Australia's next Olympic Games. Maybe they'll test out the course around Brisbane, which will be challenging, like you said, Gracie, because road closures in Australia are a whole different ball game to say what we experience here in Belgium. Um, you know, they close roads here for for really small races, where in Australia it's, it's not as easy. Um, at least that's my understanding from people working in event management. Yeah, and that's it's really a, cha- a challenge yeah. of the NRS, I believe. Queensland is actually doing quite a good job for a, a a state that is so big, so spread out, and maybe not so cyclist friendly. But yeah. in the southeastern part of Queensland, um, Brizzy, Sunshine Coast, and a few other areas, they actually do cycling events quite well and they're actually becoming quite good the last few years at hosting um, the ACA NRS team has been a big part of that. Some of the people involved in that team have also been involved in events and stuff. So I think that's been a huge push up there and big thanks to those people involved. And you're completely right, Lauren, they're going to want to start testing out areas that could be suitable for the olympics up there so plus the the, there'll be a better appetite in the local community for more sporting events because of that 
uh, in Australia, we're calling it the green and gold decade. We've got quite a few major events mm. in the next eight years, ten, nine years now uh, leading into the games. So it's not just Olympic Games. I think there's like a rugby thing and probably more football and I don't know what else, but there's a bunch of stuff. So I think people are just going to be getting into the spirit of um international level sport and I think nationals up there is quite likely to to happen so yeah I wouldn't be surprised if it it lands in Queensland because we have tons of time to talk about the nationals we'll have a podcast obviously around the nationals maybe multiple that will happen in January we're getting so close to being back to racing. Mm. The UCI announced the 15 teams that will be world tour in 2024. And that includes Saratiz at WNT has made the jump up to world tour about time. I say they've for a long time, they've been in the ranking of the world tour without being a world tour team. So excited to see them up there. And then to no surprise at all, AG insurance suit all is also in the world tour for 2024. They applied last year and didn't get a spot. Uh, Phoenix to got the final spot last year. So yep. The, the 15 teams are AG insurance, Sudol, Canyon Stram, Saratiz at WNT, FDJ, Suez, Phoenix to human powered health, little Trek, live Alula, Jaco, which is live cycling and Jaco Alula mush together. The Movistar team, team DSM, Fermanich, SD works, uh, Visma, v- Visma Lisa Bike, which is Yumbo Visma, UAE Team ADQ, and Uno X Mobility. Uno X was the team that was, I believe, lowest in the ranking. They got pretty lucky with the folding of EF Education to go Silicon Valley Bank and the merging of Live Racing and Jaco Alula. And then the final team is Roland, which is formerly Israel Premier Tech Roland something, something, something they had about the longest name in cycling. But Israel Premier Tech announced that they are dropping sponsorship of that team after two years. So that will only be Roland next year. They went from the longest name to the shortest name, Um, which is a really interesting development because if everyone remembers, Israel Premier Tech announced they were sponsoring the team at a weird time in 2022, like already the season had started, the kits were out. Mm. They'd already announced their kit. They didn't change the kit. They they didn't want their logos to be on the kit. So they were like a silent sponsor of the team in 2022. And then in 2023, they went full tilt. They were saying in the media all the time how committed they were to having a women's world tour team. And then after one year of being a full team, they've dropped the women's team entirely they said in a statement that they plan to return to women's cycling in the future but there was no clear news about that they didn't actually answer any questions about that just kind of made a generic yeah we'll be back so that's that's a really weird development that i'm not entirely sure the point of but here we are Hmm. yeah Yeah. very weird but also not surprising (laughs) yeah it's never surprising is it (laughs) classic cycling stuff (laughs) and in other weird news the uci also put out a in their news about the two new world tour teams they also slid in there that there's an uzbekistan team that will be in the running for all the world tour races next year it's a team called tashkent city women's and women and none of us have ever heard of it and they're they're ranked 18th in the standing so they're actually not that low compared to the spanish women's team that applied for world tour status this year that didn't get it but it's it's interesting that they've been potentially handed a spot in the tour de france femme given that we've got teams like parkato valkenberg life plus wahoo and co-op high-tech products that have been around for years and develop women and put them in the women's world tour. <laughs> Dying. <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I guess this could only really be a money thing. I, I don't see how else. Like you said, I mean, in terms of points, if they're ranked 18th, we did have a bit of a look on, um, you know, the Cycling Stats website to see where they got in their points, and they've been heavily present in, um, yeah, all the races basically. Um, 
the Asian Asian tours. Um, I'm trying to see here actually where they've been, but racking up points basically at, at races where, um, you know, there's UCI points on offer, but maybe the the level isn't as high. Um, it, it's just a really interesting con- contribution. Yeah, and there, there has been some questioning over whether their points tallying is legit. So there's been a couple of other teams that have brought this up to the UCI saying, hey, how come they've accumulated this many points in mm-hmm. this amount of time? Uh, the, there's criteria for uh, UCI-sanctioned races and points, such as uh, it might be a UCI-sanctioned rank, for example, but if there's a, a minimum amount of riders from a minimum amount of countries or I'm not quite sure of exactly the details, if, if the race entrants don't meet that criteria, then there can be, you know, that that point system taken away because if, you know, there's only one rider there, then they get the maximum points. That's not really a fair way to gain points for a team or an individual. So there's been a couple of teams that have missed out on this wild card spot that arguably do deserve it more and they could probably take riders to most women's world tour races, if not all. Whereas this team has already stated that they won't be able to go to all world tour races. They'll probably only go to a handful. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a bit mm. of a head scratcher to be like, okay, well, who's doing who a favor um, and why? What's the future outcome of this? Uh, yeah. We're not cynical at all here on this podcast, <laughs> but it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, who's friends with who at the UCI? Who wants a job in the future? Who wants worlds? Who wants mm. something to do with men's racing? I don't know. There's there's plenty of uh, question marks in my mind. It's good to have uh, have a team that's supported to come through a, a country that doesn't necessarily have a strong footing in in cycling, especially in women's cycling. So in that regard, it's a positive. But mm. you know, it's maybe it's just a step too soon for this team, and support could have been better made in other ways and I think when we think of the professionalization of women's cycling and what's happening currently um when you give teams like this wild card entries and I know that Gracie and I have been in races where there are teams that show up that we have no idea who they are um actually the Giro is a classic with this you would get some small Italian teams and quite often um this might sound bad. It made the race unsafe because you had riders racing there that weren't used to um, the normal ways of the European peloton, lack of experience, maybe only used to racing in small pelotons of 40 or less. Um, so there's a safety element to it too, as well as like bringing down the level. And I think you don't want to see that in a race like the Tour de France where you have riders getting dropped in the neutral. That race is dangerous enough already. We've seen horrendous crashes at the tour, um, partially because of that issue, mm. uh, which it all like kind of trails back to development. Mm. But you wouldn't see this in a men's in the men's peloton. You'd never see this no. in the in the men's peloton. They would be, they would of course go to smaller level races and build their way up. But you would never see something like this on the men's side. They really. Um, like take only the top pro teams into the the big world tour races. So it's kind of a weird development, especially as we're trying to further professionalize the women's side. And um, yeah, on the, on the points thing. So they pulled 709 points from the national championships alone, which is 41% of their total for 2023. <laughs> so kind of a weird thing there that they just, it's a fully uzbekistan team like all the riders so they don't have a single other nationality on the team um there is one name on the team that anyone who's followed cycling for the last handful of years will know and that's olga zebelinskaya former russian rider has olympic medals i think if you only just watch the olympics (laughs) she's a rider who (laughs) pops up i swear every year of the olympics yeah. Uh yeah. she's changed her nationality to Uzbekistan and, and she's on the team. Um, which is 
a thing in of itself. <laughs> but yeah, and a really interesting decision from the UCI. And I, I like that I there are smaller teams fighting back against this because mm-hmm. there, yeah, there are teams that deserve a spot in the Tour de France Femme, and I don't. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be a more international team if it's going to be on that kind of a if that kind on that kind of stage. Like we don't want to. Mm. like we don't want to make the peloton smaller like we want more nationalities we want more representation you know so yeah it's interesting it's an interesting little bit of news that we thought that we would talk about um moving on actually the not i I hadn't put this in the run sheet and i have to look it up uh cyclists (coughs) i wonder if they have a actual list on their website of all the women who got selected for the grant oh the strava grant that one yeah yeah speaking of diversity or an attempt at further diversifying the peloton that is very european the cyclist alliance we we talked previously i had an episode a couple months ago about the t-camp pre-career strava grant to help a grant to help riders with promise gain entry into the peloton basically they've been slowly releasing the riders that were that they chose for the grant they have a a rider from uganda her name is florence nakagwe i'm sorry about name pronunciation sophie marr from australia emma matthews from the uk um jazilia momokwazi from uganda florence normand from canada Renee Van Hout from the Netherlands, Emily Watts of Australia, <laughs> Maddie LaRue from South Africa, and Caroline Amazonas from Brazil, who's a mountain biker. So cool. that's the nine riders that they have announced so far who've received grant money to fund their their goals of making it in this sport. Pretty cool to see. Super cool. Thanks, Strava. And... I got to be on some meetings with some of those big brands that have been supporting Cyclist Alliance for a long time now. And it's, I haven't been with them this year, um, but in the past it was just so energizing to be on a call with people from Strava, people from Zwift, people from those big bike brands like Specialized and Live in Cannondale. And they were just like, they, they really believed in the, the, the Cyclist Alliance kind of ideologies and they put their money where their ma- mouth is. And this is another awesome example of them going, yep, if you figure out a way that we can directly impact women's cycling, we're in. And this is awesome. So I really hope that it helps um, this handful of uh, up-and-coming cyclists because being part of the mentor program too for a couple of years there was mm. really cool, but we just didn't quite have the resources or the experience all the time to to do that pre-career stuff, or that's, you know, really helping people get their foot in the door in Europe in the first place. We were working with, like, newbie uh, world mm. tour or pro-level riders, um, so it's, it's awesome. I'm so proud of um, everyone that's still working with the Cyclist Alliance. Um, Ruth Hugenboom needs a special mention because she was um, working with me for a long time and she stayed on again this year, so... Yeah, she's awesome. So is everyone else there. And it's just one more thing that they've been able to achieve for women cycling. I look forward to the day that they have like a composite team they take to lower level races. Yeah. That would be really cool. And Iris will make an awesome kit. (laughs) Oh my God. But she would, she also like, I I wish that she DS'd. She does so many things. Yeah, she has a She She did DS like when she first retired for a little bit. But I think mm. she was with a men's team. Okay. She, was. she was with a men's team. I don't think yeah. she's done women's cycling, but she would be an awesome DS for sure. Mm. Final bit of news, and then we'll answer some questions. The The SD Works team kit was revealed for 2024 in a video that I could feel <laughs> Lorena Weebus shaking, shivering with cold yeah. <laughs> through the screen. <laughs> but I, I like the kit. It's cool. It's got a lot of, like, color blockage. Like, it could be compared a little bit to the little trek kit but in like a purple pink color scheme and um 
I think it'll be easier to pick out of the Peloton. Granted, we don't know what the rest of the Peloton looks like yet. So <laughs> we'll reserve our judgment until that day. But yeah, the, the new kit is out. What year was it that they were like seven kits with the same color scheme? I think was. that was 20, 2021, maybe? Yeah, that wasn't very was long like, ago. It was hard no, for commentators. I called it yeah. <laughs> yeah. I called it Pinkgate in the newsletter. Because right. it was like, I think it was like the first year that EF came on. So was it 2022? Anyway, it was like EF, Canyon SRAM, SE Works, U- UAE had like a weird pinkish rainbow oh, kit that year. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it was it sucked. It was like two months you were just like, I don't know who anyone is. <laughs> uh, so looking forward to seeing more kits out soon. There's definitely gonna be some new ones this year with the teams like uh Live Alula Jaco, which is basically a new team. I wonder what they're gonna do. Mm. And obviously we we have a new EF kit to look forward to, so really excited about that. All right, let's answer some listener questions. I'm going to save my favorite one for last. I'm very excited about it. Um, <laughs> let's hope we get to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm not, we're not going to get to all of these. We'll save a couple for an episode early next year because we got so many good ones. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into these. Let's go with the first question I've got here. Interested to know how the Australian collegiate racing scene compares to American collegiate system, since it seems like a lot of younger Aussie talent is coming through that program. Do you guys know anything about the yeah the Australian collegiate? uh, Unless I'm missing something, we don't have a collegiate system for cycling. Maybe for other sports, but our um, university we would call it in Australia. We don't do we don't we're not huge on tertiary sport that level i guess not like like club teams well there's the uni games which is every year i competed in it a million moons ago um which is basically a week of drinking but people do compete it's a lot of fun but it's definitely not of the level that i'm aware of in the u.s because i know some some top cyclists have actually come through the collegiate um, exactly. Case in point, Ali Stalker as well, I think, came through collegiate. Um, I think for mountain biking, it's quite good, collegiate. Kate Courtney was in the collegiate system, yeah. Yeah, collegiate in the U.S. is like, collegiate in the U.S. is huge. I mean, especially for women. A ton of women come in through collegiate racing. Katie Hall was discovered in collegiate racing. Corinne or Lebecki did collegiate, like, a ton of riders do the collegiate program and there's a team uh right now in in the women's scene that's a development team that's all americans and one of the requirements on the team is that they get uh they're they're also in school which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool um one of their riders just got picked up by ef actually natalie quinn Mm -hmm. who's only been racing on the road for like a year and i was looking through her results and oh my gosh there are some there's some seriously impressive results in there so it's definitely a good system i think maybe i'm not sure if the listener is referring to we have the national road series which is similar to what the u.s it's actually the same thing. When I did a year in the US in 2012, I raced like the Redlands Classic and those sort of races, Joe Martin, et cetera. Um, and we have that in Australia. And that has always been a good stepping stone for for riders. Um, and actually many of the top riders that that we know of were identified as talents in the NRS series. But um you know, in Australia, I think they've had issues. We we briefly touched on it before with the NRS because of um, just basically trying to get towns to host the races has been impossible and money has been a big issue for funding. Um, so the calendar was really reduced at one point. I'm not completely aware of what's happening now with the NRS, but that was basically... Um, yeah, our stepping stone to getting identified and then getting picked up by a national team or now we have uh, continental teams in Australia that are actually sending riders over to Europe, um, which wasn't the case for women 10 years ago. You basically had to get into uh, the national team like Gracie did 
um, or the AIS previously. Yeah, but Lauren's right. The NRS here is how you race in Australia and it doesn't really have anything to do with colleges or universities. Um, there's some small, like uh, less strong linkages that, that we have two teams here, Sydney Uni, Staminate or Sydney Uni Velo Club. That has a bit to do with a NRS team, as does the the ARA racing team that is connected with the Sunshine Coast University. But that's more of like a, a partnership slash slash sponsorship slash club. I think more for the Sydney one. Um, so that that's about the extent of it. But we do have like sport friendly unis in Australia. I'd say a lot of unis at least have some kind of sports scholarship. Some of them are better than others and they do help um, individuals to be sports people as well as study. But, yeah, that's it. In the in Australia, the NRS is privately funded teams run by our federation. The, the series is run by our federation, which is also another topic that would take a whole episode. <laughs> so yeah. um, probably not a good one to get into yeah but it could be better when, uh, we're, in the Aussie, <laughs> when we're in the Aussie season in January we can dive into it <laughs> yeah but yeah it's pretty tough for an Aussie to get over to Europe still okay next one Natalia asks one year from now so our final episode of the year for we'll talk we'll, we'll be talking about <laughs> what needs to happen slash be in place for you to say that progress in women's cycling is definitely here to stay Uh, This is an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. I think we would be having a different conversation if it was like a month ago, pre-news that GCN is collapsing. Um, It would be a completely different conversation. But now with that happening, I think a year from now, what will have to be in place is a solid way to watch the women's races, unfortunately. I did not think that we were going to be back going backwards in this way but I think yeah the one of the biggest things with the progress in women's cycling has been being able to actually watch it and if if a year from now it's proved that okay GCN collapsing while it sucks didn't end the development in the sport we worked so hard for if it's still accessible then I think we'll be in a good spot but we have no idea what's going to happen in, in the over the next year and what's going to happen with the with the live coverage yeah i think when we like in a year we'll know viewership and that will give us an indication how many people went looking for alternative ways to watch the racing that they were that committed to watching women's cycling um that they bought uh, a new membership to whatever platform it's warner brothers now i think for i think yes yeah, for the in the u.s i believe that the races are going to be on uh, HBO Max. I'm not going to call it Max. It's the dumbest name. Look, and I think this isn't just a, an issue with road cycling, but um, mountain biking is the same thing, right, with the UCR. So that's been bought out too. And there was a yeah, whole debate about Red that. Red Bull was doing such an awesome job. Yeah. I mean, it was easy, wasn't it? You could just jump on the Red Bull YouTube channel, whatever it was, and you know, you could watch mountain biking and road cycling at the same time. I love that. And also, of course, then it was on GCN. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a hard one. But I think uh, in terms of viewership, yeah, we won't know until next year. I think the Tour de France, regardless, will not be races like the Tour de France will not be affected because it already has this, um, it's already built this following and there's this excitement around it. So people are going to be able to, I hope, just watch it on their national uh, television channels that um, are just available. I don't know how that works in countries like Australia, but definitely in Europe, I think people will be able to tap into that in a lot of countries. Um, But it is a big question mark. And then what does that mean for future sponsorship? Because there is a lot of excitement about women's sport in general right now. And even if we look at women's football here in Belgium, I can turn on one of the very many sports channels and there'll be women's football games on. Yeah, it's unfortunately, like Abby said, it's a backward step for cycling, but actually it impacts women's cycling more than men's cycling. So that's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see in a year from now what that impact has really 
will really look like. So, but now we know. Aside from that, I'd like to see, yeah, just that excitement around those bigger women's races continuing. So, you know, we've talked about it a few times, more than a few times, but how good the Tour de France Femme was this year, just in terms of engagement and excitement and and the level. I think that we're, of course, coming into an Olympic year, so the level is going to be super high. I think most races are going to be awesome to watch. People are you know, I think the most fans are well and truly engaged in women's cycling now. There's some great characters people want to follow, um, not just the racing, but that certain riders and certain teams. So uh, just having that strong fan base there, unfortunately, will be impacted a bit by these uh, TV rights. But I think I'd like to see just that, I don't know, at least the attitude around women's cycling continue to build I'm not quite sure how to track that as a metric but mm. you know I think we'll we'll know because we work in cycling you you do kind of get that vibe one way or another yeah and I think that the races that are going to be impacted the most are like the races that are a bit smaller right so our Paris-Roubaix is our uh, Tour of Flanders uh, Tour de France Femme um, all those big races that are very well established. I think people are going to be able to view those, but the luxury of just going on GCN and picking up a smaller race here in Belgium or uh, Turingen, for example, I think that's going to be the challenging thing now. I do have one thing, though, that I would like to never see again is having races like Gravel World Championships like completely mm. fucked up. Like, let's just not have that. I think that would be nice to yeah. not have those kind of backward steps. <laughs> just like, just have women's t- cycling get taken seriously by the people that need to take it seriously. I think mm. fans is a whole other story. I think we're doing well. Anyone listens to this podcast, we don't need to tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'd like to see some of the bigger institutions and brands continue to build their respect for our amazing athletes and the racing. Well, I mean, it makes sense too, money-wise, right? It's such a huge growing market. It continues to grow, the off-road sector. So Yeah, exactly. Don't be dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Final question. Wait, final question. Moving on. (laughs) Moving along. Because we still have to do what we're obsessed with. True. Okay. So, final question. Michelle asked us to pick our dream teams. Oh, dear Lord. So, that's bikes, riders, DS. That's a huge question, Abby. No, yes. it's not. You can yes, just it is with no preparation. <laughs> I I put it in there. I was like, here's your here is the prompt. It's right there in the spreadsheet. You know, we don't read stuff. <laughs> That's the beauty of this okay. podcast. <laughs> we can save that question for our first episode. Back. I think save so it because have... there's some serious thought to go into it. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I have a whole list right here. Of I bet you 15 do. riders. <laughs> I was going to go more on an emotional You already know I'm picking Harris to be my DS. <laughs> yeah. My, my roster is unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll save that question. Oh, oh, oh. It can be like past riders as well. Yeah, yeah sure. That would make it, it fun. All right, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> we you can do whatever you want. Heck, great. you could be like, I want Jesse Diggins on my cycling team. Lauren's just gonna be good. Lauren's just gonna pick her 2012 Lululemon team. Yeah, <laughs> and add Gracie in there as well. <laughs> oh, I know it's a good situation when you want to rebuild it. <laughs> I would be honored to make the cut, but you probably shouldn't add me. You just anyway. have to like give us a heads up a week before, so make sure I do my homework properly. I told you to check the spreadsheet for the for the list of questions. Yeah, but I was like, we're not going to get through all of these, and then I thought that was such a long <laughs> one. <laughs> it was such a long one that I was like, nah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna start out the very first episode of 2023. 
We're going to answer this question. Pick our dream team. There's a couple other really good questions in here that are like looking to the future. Which like is great. Ian asked which rider will shake the SD will likely shake up SD Works next year and he threw out Chloe Digert as an example. There's a question about uh, predictions. So I think we we hold off on predicting until 2024. You don't want to predict 2024 until you're in the early stages of 2024, right? Like who knows what's going to happen at midnight on December 31st, 2023. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we'll wrap up this episode now with what we're obsessed with. Does anyone want to go first? Okay, what nice. are you obsessed with? <laughs> uh, I have been reading a really good book. I'm a bit late to it. It's like a bestseller from quite a while back. It's called mm-hmm. The Secret Life of Bees. Oh, yes. <sighs> it's 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 breaking my heart it's so good and I'm gonna be so sad when I finish it I think I'm gonna read the last chapter tonight it's just so beautifully written and it's yeah it's it's really good so if you haven't read it yet I'm sure a lot of people probably have but I watched the movie as well yeah I was wondering did they make a movie nearly as good Mm. they did but it's not the book is like way more powerful yeah yeah I was like this is a very adaptable book but I yeah it's it's gorgeous, so very much enjoying that. And now I, mm. when I look at bees in my little garden, it's even nicer. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine isn't nearly as as cool as that. Um, I'm obsessed with Today Pogacar singing Taylor Swift on <laughs> Oscar Ziggard's Instagram. <laughs> I did not see um, that. I have not seen that at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Oscar posted a... a amazing video of uh, Pogacar singing Cruel Summer on her Instagram and said that their goal for 2024 was to sing more Taylor Swift together. And I'm all for it because perhaps Pogacar singing Taylor Swift will prove to the dads, chads, and brads that, you know, you can be cool and listen to Taylor Swift. They just seem like, I mean, it is social media, a really cute couple. And like really really young, right? Yeah, it's like teenage love almost that yeah, you're watching cute. unfold. Yeah, it's like, like oh, but he to also be young. looks like he's twelve, and yeah, I think he does. Might be twenty six or five, yeah. twenty four. It's like Jonas Vinegar really looks like he he could be in his. The fact that he has a child is bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm obsessed with that. Not so much Pogacar singing Taylor Swift, which is awesome, but more just the point that this person who people think is so rad, like people are huge fans of him and he's singing Taylor Swift. And I guarantee that there are fans of Pogacar who are like, oh, Taylor Swift, she's, you know, blah, or whatever word vomit they have. Well, remember I screenshotted, when was it, like two months ago and sent you what Hannes had been listening to on Spotify? Loved it. Just all Taylor Swift. It was really surprising for me. But when I met him, he was really into Beyonce. Like genuinely, (laughs) genuinely into Beyonce. And I was like. Imagine this guy. This this guy is special. (laughs) Yeah, he really is special. He's quirky. (laughs) But yeah, he. He really is. He's a bit of a dork as well. Which we he just perfectly. has good taste in women. Gosh. He does. Just seriously. Talented women. Powerful. He can see, he can see talent from a mile off. <laughs> Lauren? <laughs> uh, just, Did you get it, yeah. Lauren? Did you get the hint? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lauren? Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm obsessed with actually not doing a hell of a lot. I stopped working a couple of weeks ago um, because I'm due in January and this year has been super hectic. So um, I'm just enjoying for once, well, one thing, trying to let go of a bit of control um, because that's been a big thing for me Um, and just... Yeah, feeling like it's okay not to do a lot at the moment um, because we've got a big month coming up in January with a lot of life things. So it's been good to just do nothing and not feel guilty about it because I have so many amazing 
women around me in my life doing incredible things, you guys included. And I think sometimes you can be hard on yourself when, you know, it lifts you up but at the same time um, makes you question what you're doing yourself. So, um, yeah, I'm just letting go at the moment. That's good. So it's not really an obsession. You've earned putting your feet up. You've had such a crazy year and, like, I'm just in awe of you as a human being. Thank you. You've definitely earned (gasps) it, but I do want to say that we don't need to earn rest and that's something I really struggle with as well. Like, I'm exactly the same, Lauren. Like, it's, yeah, I think a lot of people listening can can relate, especially women. It's just, like, just that guilt all the time regardless of whether you're a parent or not it's just like allowing yourself that time to do nothing and not feel bad about it I think that's actually really tough yeah it's just because we're bombarded with so much all the time it's not like you know I don't sit on social media a lot but I love LinkedIn Mm. and LinkedIn is like I've talked about it before where professionals you know you can engage in really interesting conversations and people are showing what they're doing out there and um it's never men it's just always these just incredible women um, that I've met along the way through my my career in sport and, and other avenues as well at university. And I'm just like constantly in awe of what people are doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's inspiring. But then at the same time, you, you can get a bit frustrated if you feel you're stuck. Mm. And I've just been a bit stuck at the moment. But it's situational. We're coming up on a break, so we're gonna be we're gonna be gone for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back in January to talk about the Australian summer. We've got nationals, we've got TDU, very exciting. Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race. So such a good month to talk about these. It's a great month. Really, for like all the foreign listeners, if you're planning a time to go to Australia and you want to like combine seeing beautiful things and taking in Australian culture and and all of that and some bike racing, you have to go in the month of January. Adelaide during TDU is insane. Riding mm. around like the Adelaide Hills, there's just like the vibe. When I went in 2019, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there. It, like people flooded into Adelaide for the race and it was really, really cool to see. Just the the amount of fans that came, like full bike clubs from all over the country Mm -hmm. come. But I cannot believe that I didn't say that I'm obsessed with Lila skiing because I took Lila skiing. I was waiting for that. Oh, yeah. Her little (laughs) outfits. I thought it was going to be. My God. That killed me. Those little videos. Loved it. Oh, my God. She, She had the time of her life. She cried for like 30 seconds when I put the skis on. And then I just held her and did a couple laps uh, like on the on the rope pull, Palma, mm-hmm. we call it Palma. Um, I did a couple laps of that just holding her so she got the feel for like, okay, we're going to go down the slope on these sticks. And then I just held her between my legs and she was loving it. Like she just wanted to keep going. We went again the next day. We did like eight laps of the Palma, which is like not a small amount for a tiny human. And she just wanted to keep going. She just kept pointing up and then she'd point down when we got to the top. And um, it was amazing. It was like two of the best days I've ever had as a parent, but I it was displaced from my mind today by today. Pogacar dancing to Taylor Swift, but that's <laughs> way better. Lila skiing is way better. I'm going to take her today after school. I just love that you live in a place where you can share your, your hobbies and passions with your kid. That's like the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things about having children is sharing those, I don't know, outdoorsy things that we just love skiing Mm. mountain biking you live in the perfect place and actually gracie you as well in in canberra is a pretty cool place to to bring up a kid if you want them to enjoy the outdoors and appreciate nature yeah that's true (laughs) we should probably end the episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) We'll, we'll be back uh happy holidays everybody listening and and happy new year we've like really can't put into words how much we appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast. It's, um, for us, it's, it's, I mean, it is a job, but it's also a passion and, um, we've grown closer as people making this podcast and we love that people have enjoyed listening to us talk about things from, from books to cycling to 
movies to family. It's been really cool. So thanks everyone for a year or less than a year, but for the, the year of 2023 and podcasting, it's been a joy. And we'll be back in January. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> I almost put my foot in it there. <laughs>